bum, 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 bum. I just love that intro music. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Everybody, how's it going? I'm Chase Jarvis. Welcome to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. This show is where I sit down with the world's top creators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders and unpack actionable insights with the goal of helping you live your dreams, whether them be in career and hobby or life. I am so pumped up for this show. My guest is the Scott Harrison. Scott, you will know Scott. Maybe you knew him from as a nightclub promoter in New York, but mostly you're going to know him from his paradigm-changing nonprofit called Charity Water. Totally reinvented a genre. This guy, I confess, Scott and I have been friends for years, maybe. Not, not 10 maybe, but certainly five or six. Incredible human. Uh, he's the founder of Charity Water, nonprofit that brings clean, safe drinking water to people in developing countries. I've mentioned him before, I don't think on the show, uh, but I've talked a lot about him on social. I've raised, I've used my birthday to raise money for Charity Water, uh, built wells for them as a collaboration with you and, and, and I around fundraising. I feel so passionate about drinking water on our planet because it is absolutely 100% solvable. There's a billion people who don't have it. And it's not a technology barrier. It's not, it's, it's, it's literally just the resource of providing the water. And Scott has basically changed the paradigm by which we serve that need. Um, in less than a decade, that community, the, the Charity Water community has raised $250 million, funded more than 22,000 water projects. These are like wells and things that sustainably bring water all over the world and provided clean drinking water on a regular basis to more than 7 million people worldwide. So this is a story of social entrepreneurship. It's a story of reinventing an entire genre of of organization, the you know the .org, of scaling that in a way that no one else has done it. And I want to highlight not just why Charity Water has done it, but how the specifics about how they brought about so much innovation in a space that was thought to be stale and consistent, but but stale. So it's my hope that unpacking the tactics that Scott used to build Charity Water, we can give others working in this space some ideas. Also, his life story is off the charts fascinating. The way that he thinks about entrepreneur, well, his background and then how he's leveraged that into entrepreneurship and specifically doing good for other folks. A couple other highlights, this life story, we, we get into a little bit of detail. He talks, I think, at length about the things, the specific events in his life that made him think the way that he does. And I think it's this really cool glue that I feel like you will be able to see gluing different points in his past to why he is the way he is. And there's, there's almost a psychology that I think you'll be able to extract about why you do certain things because of events in your world. And then if you use Scott's life as a jumping off point of how to apply it to your dreams, I think it's incredibly insightful on that axis. Um, he also unpacks a lot of Charity Water's signature campaigns like donating for your birthday, which is something I have done on my birthday. And if you want to know a little bit about that, you need to listen to the show. And they like provide insight, data. You give money, you get to see the GPS coordinates and photos of the water project that you contribute to. A hundred percent of what you donate goes to the water projects. And if you're saying right now, like, how does that happen? You need to listen to the show. Uh, we also talk about Scott's personal development uh, to say his life has been a wild ride. It would be a massive understatement. And yet he has remained so humble, so introspective. You can hear it in his voice with, you know, 
25 seconds into our interview, he shares a, a bunch of stuff that I think resonates with every entrepreneur, anyone who's trying to achieve something on their career uh, career or life path. He talks about how his like view of himself is sometimes inextricably tied to the path of charity water. And I identify with that deeply because my professional, you know, we try not to c- couple those two things, but uh, he just provides so much insight and, and frankly, comfort that we're all going to be okay. But I got, I got to stop chatting. I got to get us into the show. Without further ado, we got to get there. Before, just a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by my friends at FreshBooks. FreshBooks are a cloud-based accounting software and it's designed specifically for you and me. That's right, for freelancers, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, and the self-employed. Very stoked to have these guys on board. If you want to get your accounting on Rails, then I encourage you to check out FreshBooks. Sign up for a free trial at freshbooks.com slash chase. This episode of Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. And right now you're saying, wait a minute, isn't that the company that you started? Yes, it is. It is my company, but they make this show possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, you must check it out. It's where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best teach photo, video, art design, music and audio, craft and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of those disciplines. There is free content there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there's also within 10,000 hours of content for you to access on demand. Good to see you. Good to be back. It's so. Uh, Thanks this for is having a, me. This is a pretty long circle. I mean, you were on one of the very first purely live. This is like live, 2000, live, two thousand, like maybe ten, nine, ten, something like that. Did we have iPhones back then? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for coming. Great, back, great right? to be here. Great to catch up. Probably lots happened. Uh, well, I know lots happened with both of us. Yes. Um, last time I think we were together was in London on a bus at a conference or something like that, yeah, right? Good things happen on those buses. It's so true. You're sitting next to you know cool, interesting people. Um, but to have you here on the show, um, it was, I truly mean every breath that I said. I don't think I know anyone who's created a charity that A, has had the, I don't know a human who has decided to shift their their um, attention to something and has as has had as dramatic impact as quickly as you and what you've built with Charity Water. That's great, because I think we've done much less than we should have at this point. So there's... <laughs> Come on, man. So um, <laughs> anyway, I, I, I think that... That's kind. Um, Thanks. You, you know the audience. It's, it's an audience of creators and entrepreneurs and people who are um, working to sort of track to their dreams. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say that you chased one dream for a while, and yeah. then you realized that you wanted something different for yourself. I know the story well, but for the, anyone at home who doesn't, Give us, the, give us the, yeah. uh, the, the story about how Charity Water got started. Well, I'll start at the beginning. Um, you know, it really has a lot to do with childhood and the, the weird, bizarre childhood um, that I, I kind of experienced. When I was born into a middle-class family in Philadelphia, my dad was an electrical engineer, business guy. My mom was a writer. And when I was four, we moved from the city to the suburbs to get closer to his work. And we moved into a house that had a carbon monoxide gas leak. Now, you got to remember, this is almost 40 years ago. The carbon monoxide detector, you couldn't buy them at Home Depot. Yeah. So we didn't know, and our whole family starts to die as we're breathing in these invisible fumes. Um, my mom, on New Year's Day, shortly after moving into the house, collapses unconscious on the floor. 
we rush her to the hospital, um, lots of blood tests later, and we find these massive amounts of carbon dioxide in her bloodstream. Uh, my dad and I start getting a little sick, but we were only sleeping in the house at night. She was fixing up the house and sleeping mm -hmm. at night. Um, long story short, she doesn't die, but her immune system dies, and she's irreparably um, damaged from this point. So anything chemical from this point on makes her sick. Car fumes, uh, perfume, cologne, oh, no. soap. Um, the ink from books, dude, would make her sick. Oh. So I remember as a child baking her books oh. in the oven and because the, the print, would, the ink would make her sick if she smelled it. So we would bake her books, we'd try to outgas them, and then I would take them up to her. Um, she lived in a bathroom at this point, which was almost a containment room covered in aluminum foil on a cot that had been washed in baking soda 20 times. So everything was just weird. And then she would wear cotton gloves, take the, the charred book that I would hand her and read with a mask on, charcoal mask on. So family planning stopped. I went into a caregiver role early on. My parents uh, were, were deep. They had a deep Christian faith. They decided because of that not to sue the gas company for negligence. They didn't want to become bitter. They didn't want to be you know, attacking. Wow. And uh, but nothing was really ever the same again. So I grew up kind of that perfect Christian kid playing piano in church. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I didn't have sex. I didn't do drugs. I did the cooking and the cleaning, and I helped mom. You know, I prepared her meals, and I just did all that stuff. Yeah. Incredible. So I kind of played by all the rules until 18, and then completely lost the pot. So I grew my hair down up. to my, you know, I had that, that moment of, now it's my turn. Yeah. It's freaking my, you know, I've served others. Now it's time to go out and explore the world. And I grew my hair down on my shoulders, which is a terrible idea. I saw some old photos recently. Uh, I looked I like a mop, you know? I had the same hairdo. Dude, oh, like we had rubber bands at yeah. some point. What were we thinking? Uh, I moved to New York City, and the band was actually good. We started playing CBGBs and Wetlands and all these legendary clubs, and we were chasing a record deal. And then we just broke up because we hated each other. So this, this happened months later. And I, I learned that if you wanted to rebel in style, you could become a nightclub promoter and you could achieve this. And then there was actually this job here in New York City where you could get paid to drink alcohol. And, and you would drink for free and all your friends would drink for free. And if you got the right people inside the right clubs, you could charge people $1,000 for a bottle of champagne. And it cost 50. You know, 20, 25 dollars for a cocktail that you could make for, for pennies. So uh, at 18, I, I started promoting clubs and I spent the next 10 years really climbing up the social ladder. Probably got to top eight. You know, there are kind of four groups of us running the, the trendy um, model celebrity fashion parties in the city and all on different nights. And I had really walked away from every single foundational value or you know, spirituality that I've been brought up with. Um, a picture of my life 10 years later, uh, I smoked two packs a day for 10 years, sometimes three. So I had this coughing problem. You know, I just like kind of, I, I, was, I was like yellow basically. <laughs> uh, I had a drinking problem. I had a serious cocaine, MDMA, ecstasy, pornography, uh, strip club problem, gambling problem, everything short of heroin. Wow. But we, our lives looked awesome because we were yeah. jumping in the back of there you were know, fancy cars with, with yeah. oh my gosh, right? It would have been great. It's, great. it's models and it's, Paris for Fashion Week in Milan, and um, I find myself uh, really at the 10-year mark in Punta del Este, uh, Uruguay. So I'm on this jet set vacation. My girlfriend is on the cover of Elle magazine at the time. I have a Rolex, I have a BMW, I have a grand piano in my New York apartment, and I have a lab 
like a Labrador Retriever. So I had ticked the boxes for the things I thought I wanted. And I realized on this hedonistic vacation where we'd rented a uh, compound with servants and horses and we spent $1,000 on fireworks and there were magnums of Dom everywhere, I realized that somehow I had truly become the worst person I knew. And I was emotionally bankrupt, I was spiritually bankrupt. Uh, and the legacy, you know, if I continued down this path, that I was leaving, you know, my tombstone might read one day, here lies Scott Harrison, a man who has gotten 10 million people wasted. And I would get paid to do that. And I kind of, you know, we all have those moments maybe where like the veil is lifted a little bit and you kind of see things for what they are. Get a peek. And I saw that the people buying bottles, uh, they were miserable. The people playing $10,000 hands of Baccarat, they were miserable. You know, they were dating girls younger than their daughters. You know, their wives had left them. And there was just, it, it was really unhealthy. To say the least. To say the least. Yeah, that's so hardcore. I, you know, I'm, uh, I, I try to find my way back to a very lost faith. I start reading the Bible and deep theology, but I'm partying like crazy at night. So this kind of weird push-pull of, you know, where did I come from? And, and, you know, could I find my way back? But my lifestyle and my habits so are so different. So I struggled with this for a few months, and six months into uh, the next year, uh, I just, I have this moment, um, something happened at one of the clubs, it was just a great excuse to kind of jump in a car and take a few weeks off, and uh, I rent a, a cobalt blue Ford Mustang, uh, open-ended open lease, <laughs> not that it was a cool car, but it was <laughs> a fast car, I guess, yeah. and I just headed north with a, a Bible and a bottle of Dewar's and my cigarettes. And I just kind of explore what was next and, you know, I'm trying to pray again. I'm trying to, you know, quit smoking, <laughs> quit drinking because I'm drinking on the road. Yeah. And I wind up in Maine in Moosehead Lake and I, I make this decision that I am going to <clears throat> liquidate my life. I'm going to sell everything I own and I'm going to try to become the opposite person. So what would the 180 degree opposite of Scott Harrison's life look like? This sycophantic, hedonistic, <clears throat> like excuse me, nightclub promoter. So I, uh, I, from this internet cafe, a dial-up internet cafe in, on Moosehead Lake in Maine, I start applying to the famous humanitarian organizations of the world to volunteer a year of my time. Um, I thought it would be kind of a tie, the 10% of the 10 selfish years. And um, go back to New York, sell everything I own. I put 2,000 DVDs up on eBay as a, as a single lot when they were actually worth something. And then I wait for all the acceptance letters to come yeah. in. Surely all these organizations will be thrilled to have me, right? <laughs> no. So, yeah, people are smarter than that. So I'm denied by every organization because they're serious humanitarians. Uh, I get people drunk, you know, standing outside a velvet rope. The, the, the skills don't port. Um, how would I in any way be useful to their missions? And so now I'm, I've left New York in faith. Um, I was actually at, at a friend's kind of Cab, forest cabin in the south of France, just you know, on this kind of spiritual seeking. Yeah. Um, and finally, one organization, the only one that hadn't rejected me, I guess, writes me and says, if you're willing to pay us $500, you can volunteer. Oh, and you have to go to Liberia. And I'd never heard of Liberia before, but <laughs> after some quick map. searching, yep. uh, you know, it's the poorest country in the world at the time. Charles Taylor had destroyed the country after a 14-year civil war. And there was no electricity, no running water, no sewage, and no mail in the country. So I say, here are my credit card details, I'm in. And it happened that quickly. Weeks later, uh, I joined this medical humanitarian mission in West Africa and just 
have my world rocked. Um, everything in my life changed. Uh, I joined a group called Mercy Ships that was operating uh, from a 500-foot converted yacht that they had gutted and turned into a state-of-the-art hospital. 350 volunteer crew from 41 nations. And really the most amazing idea, get doctors and surgeons to donate their vacation time. And instead of going to the Maldives uh, or the Caribbean, to come and operate for free on their off time, their downtime, on people who couldn't afford medical care. Um, and, and you can imagine what kind of people you would meet there. Yeah. Um, and I quit everything before I joined the mission. I, I went out with a bang. You know, and there was this day where I would walk up the gangway, and the gangway would be pulled up, and then the, the ship would sail to Africa. And I went out with a bang. I probably had eight beers the night before, smoked three packs of cigarettes, and, and then just quit. And never, you know, never smoked again, never touched Coke, never gambled again, never looked at porn again. I mean, I just I really quit all the vices to try to open up um, a new story or try to walk in a very different direction. That transition at, with the snap of a finger, was it? No, it was a struggle, but it was in a moment. It was yeah. the struggle leading up to the moment. Yeah. Um, I tried to quit smoking 20 times before. I knew it was bad for me. Um, I uh, knew, I mean, I knew all of those things were really unhealthy, but I think there was something, you know, almost prophetic or symbolic of walking up yep. the ship and knowing that I could sail away into my new life. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, like yeah. with a group of 350 humanitarians all paying every month to give their best, to give their time and their talent and their money to the poor. Um, it was a very safe space. So that's a uh, game-changing moment for you. That's the pivot. You're on this ship. You see things that you never thought you'd see. You feel things you never thought you'd feel yeah. or maybe feeling again. Did you, do you feel like you went back to a place that you had been before? Were you a like, sensitive, empathetic, understanding, kind person before? Or did you go somewhere new? In your That's a great question. Um, I was an empathetic kid. Uh, I, I felt really bad for my mom. Uh, and you know, I remember you know, if, I, if I saw the injured bird, I would probably be the one that would try to go and you know, fix the bird's wing. That was not my life, though, for 10 years. You know, I was a guy who would um, berate the seamless web delivery man for not having a pen and then asking me to sign something. You know, and I would launch into some you know, egotistical arrogant tirade on you know, why couldn't he just do his job? So I wasn't giving money, I wasn't giving time. I'd really, I'd turn into a horrible person. I mean, I'd, I'd really rotted um, with the direction of my life, the things I was chasing and, and you know, just all the pollution. So, so it like just broke my heart. It, it was quick. I, I was able, um, there was, it, it was really a moment of grace. And I think maybe it took the, like the obedience on my part of, or, or the, the all in nature of, walking in the other direction. You know, it wasn't kind of like a turn. Yeah. It was just, I'm gonna turn around and go that way and see where that path takes me. Um, my third day on the mission, I had this, well, I, I, met a, I, I met a mentor really early on, um, a guy named Gary Parker, who was the chief medical officer. And he was a California surgeon that had signed up to do a three-month stint on the ship. Wow. So he said, you know, I'm gonna leave my practice or shut it down or hand it off to somebody and do three months on the ship. And that was 30 years ago. He never left. And that was not his plan. So I immediately you know, totally. meet a man who was yeah. all in, right? Because I was giving a year yep. at that time. Yep. So I, I looked what it would like. I saw what, and it looked really good on him. Yep. And he had a beautiful family, and they'd grown up on this hospital ship. And um, you know, he'd poured out three decades of his life. He was paying. He was raising his money from kind other people 
to just pay for his room and board. Incredible. So my third day on the mission, so I, I forgot to mention my job on the ship, the job that I was paying to do, was to be a photojournalist. So I'd actually, I was a photographer, I liked taking pictures, I liked writing, I was writing for the newspaper when I was 15 or 16. And, um, I remember that. I'd yeah. gotten a degree at NYU that I'd never used uh, because I didn't need it in nightlife. So that was, I was gonna be the chief storyteller for the medical mission. And the cool thing was that I had 15,000 people on my club list. So in a moment, the same 15,000 people that were getting emails to come and get drunk, um, I brought them on this very new experience. So my third day, you know, I had another huge moment where we were gonna screen patients. So I knew that over the course of the whole mission, we had 1,500 available, available surgery slots. So we how could do you bring- How you decide who to- How do you decide? Yeah. And, and you know, my question is like, are there 1,500 People? sick people in this country that, that need surgery. Um, my third day there uh, was our patient screening, and I should have known this when the government donated the football arena, the soccer stadium, to see the patients. So it's five in the morning, I put on my scrubs, I jump into a, a Land Rover convoy with the doctors and the nurses and surgeons to, to all move towards the stadium where we'll open up the doors and we'll start screening patients and scheduling them. And as we turn the corner, uh, I see 7,000 people standing outside. And this is dark still. It's five in the morning. And I know, I realize in that moment, holy crap, we're gonna turn away 5,000 people. These people have come with hope to be well, to see a doctor. Uh, some of them, we learned later, had walked for more than a month with their kids from neighboring countries. And they were just too far back of the line. We didn't have enough doctors, we didn't have enough resources. So I just remember weeping. I, I, I broke down. Um, it, was, it was an incredibly difficult moment. And then I had to photograph the 1,500 people we were uh, scheduling. And I'd never seen sickness or suffering. I mean, you, well, you probably remember some of those photos. Yeah. I'm photographing people with volleyball-sized tumors. Yeah. People who are choking to death on their face yeah. because they never had a surgical intervention. 65-year-old uh, women who you know, would drink this glass of water and the water spills out on the floor because they have a cleft lip. And in 65 years, it was never repaired. So food and water spilled out of there. there I just, we saw people with missing faces, missing um, arms who had been you know, hacked by the, the rebels during the war, um, kids who had been uh, burned with oil by the rebels who were all fused together. And we would, we would do these contracture surgeries and give them motion back. So it was, it was so intense. Uh, and so this is three days. Three days in. Yeah, it's, it's just, welcome hey, we're job. sailing in. There's a welcome party on the dock. Um, three days later, you know, at five in the morning, you're, you're in, in it. it. And these people have been waiting. They knew we were coming for months. I mean, the word had spread. So I, I really, I'm an optimist. I learned to focus on the positive and the 1,500 people we were helping. And my job was to document all of them before and after surgery. So I basically got to know 1,500 life stories. And I'm sending these, they're graphic images. I mean, I've seen graphic. Some, I've seen these pictures. I'm emailing the 15,000 people I, would, I got drunk for 10 years. You're sending these the pictures. The whole list, there. and like, Alfred is 14 and suffocating to death on a pink fleshy amelioblastoma tumor. See how this story ends. And I would, I would tell Alfred's story. Um, oh, by the way, his parents thought he was uh, cursed and they took him to the witch doctors who cut him with sticks and knives and put paste on his tumor. He needed a surgery. 
And then I would email the after of Alfred recovering, you know, this handsome boy, his jaw reconstructed. Uh, I, would, I would send video clips of the, the moment when we would take these patients home often, and they'd be surrounded by hundreds of people who'd written them off for dead, yeah, you know, looking at them like, you know, your, your face has changed. I mean, seeing a 65-year-old woman's cleft lip repaired, she, she was a queen. She looked beautiful. She didn't look like this kind of, you know, monster that the people in the villages would throw rocks at her and try and stone her because they thought she was cursed. So it was an intense, amazing year of doing that. Um, my list got a little smaller yeah. and then kind of bigger, right? So some people said unsubscribe. But I remember a woman from Chanel writing me saying, you know, everyone here at the company wonders what's going on because I have tears streaming down my face, connecting with these stories and these people. I didn't know that this happened. Um, how could I help? How can I give money? How can I give time? So I learned, you know, really that there was, not only could I redeem some of the relationships um, maybe used for, for less than good yeah. in the 10 years, but I, I could tell stories that mattered and would move people towards greater empathy and compassion and, and generosity. Um, encouraging them to give of their time and their money. And this is phase one. I mean, this is, this is you realizing and starting to do work, mm -hmm. but there's a, there's a leap then that happens, and I don't know over what time period, but you realize after being aboard the ship for some time that you're gonna strike out on your own. Yeah, so this, I did another is, year, so in the gap there, yeah, I, I finished like the first entrepreneurial, year. Entrepreneurial, sorry for sure. There's an entrepreneurial sort of moment here that I think a lot of people, there's so many folks that are at home, are home are listening, like what is, you know, what, is the, what is the time where I make my jump to do the thing that I'm mm -hmm. supposed to do? And you know, they're curious right now and they're trying to figure that out. And so I, I, again, I know your I'll story well. I'll go taxable, well. yeah. Yeah, but I, I know your story well, but what was the thought process between you know, experiencing it and giving the year and then deciding that you had to do your own thing? There were just all of these little things that I would try and say, wow, that worked. Um, and then they, they just built on each other. So the year, what I learned that first year was I could tell stories, people would read them, they would care about uh, a woman or a child in Liberia that looks very different than them across 3,000 miles, and that those stories could provoke positive action and positive change. That was kind of like, yeah, put that away. Yep. I come back, so the ship would do an eight-month uh, mission, and then it would sail around the coast of Africa to go to dry dock and basically repair itself, because it was 50 years old. The thing was, it was not a luxury liner. <laughs> I killed 20 that. cockroaches in the first month <laughs> of our little tiny 150-square-foot uh, cabin. Uh, we actually caught on fire, which is another story, out at sea, which we all thought we were going to die. And, um, n another story for another day, but wow. during that time I thought, well that would be a bad use of my time to go to South Africa as much as I'd love to go there and just sit around while they work on the ship. Why don't I take my photos back to New York City, back to my nightclub community, and put on an exhibition. So I had never put an exhibition on before. I remember Googling how high to hang the art. I think I got it off the Smithsonian's website. And I, I printed 108 photos, going and asking for donations from the vendors and the, the framing companies. I got the gallery donated in Chelsea. And then I invited my friends to come and look at 108 photos. Um, we designed the whole thing like a hospital, so it was all white with sheets up. And then at the end of the exhibition, as people went through, they read the stories, they looked at the photos, I asked them to give money. We raised $96,000. So now, kind of number two, okay, I can raise money. Yeah. I can use the stories not just to move people in a, in a oh, that's nice way, way yeah. 
but I can raise money. So I gave 100% of the 96 grand to Mercy Ships. And then, as I was talking to people in the gallery, I realized that there was a skepticism when it came to giving and charity. And, you know, is this money really going to go to more yeah. surgeries? You're a nightclub promoter. Where's I'm it? in, oh, come on. Like, I'm low <laughs> on credibility from a resume standpoint. Right. <laughs> so I actually, my second tour, so I went back. My second tour was really driven by a desire to follow the money and to restore their faith. I had okay. now just taken $96,000, not put it in my pocket, and given it to the organization. So I went back really to say, hey, guys, Here. the ship hasn't turned into a yacht. Yeah. Right? My crappy Land Cruiser, you know, doesn't have gold rims now, <laughs> nor air conditioning. Um, and these are more surgeries that are happening. So I did a full another year, um, again, really restoring. So now I had people's money. They had an even deeper vested yeah. interest in seeing where it went. On that second tour, I discovered water. So I got off the ship, uh, bought a motorcycle just to give me a little bit of freedom, an old crappy Honda 550 for $200 or something. And I start just exploring rural Liberia. And as I explore these villages, I am shocked by the kind of water that people are drinking it's brown. in the country. Yeah, it's it's brown, it's viscous, it's green. It's, you're actually looking at bugs in it. I mean, it's water that uh, we wouldn't let our dogs walk in, let alone drink. I mean, if your dog got near some of these sources, you would yeah. yank the chain so far and say, no, 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 that would kill you. And this, and, is the, and this is the, so this is the drinking water for 50% of the country. So I'm taking pictures and I'm coming back and I'm, I'm scrubbed up in surgery, you know, every couple days, um, talking with the medical officers because I'm documenting the surgeries. And I'm saying, you guys should see what it's like out there. You know, no wonder freaking 7,000 people are standing outside a football stadium. This is what they're putting in their bodies. Yeah. And they're washing it and people yeah. going blind with trachoma. So I start learning about... Uh, the disease is associated with bad water. And by the way, all the doctors are like, yeah, we know. Yeah. Go work on that, kid. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a real encouragement. If you're passionate about water, you know, we, you'd make our lives easier. You might take 7,000 people standing outside to 4,000 or to 2,000. If everybody had clean water, maybe there's 500 people standing outside. Um, and the tumors weren't necessarily directly correlated, although some of the diseases, cancrum oris, flesh-eating disease that we saw, trachoma, were, were, were direct waterborne diseases. Um, the stat I learned was that 52% of all disease throughout the developing world, throughout the, what some people might have heard of as the third world, or you know, these, these countries living in, in some sort of poverty, half of the disease is waterborne, caused half. by bad water and sanitation. Sanitation is important too. So half the sick people didn't need to be sick or have things growing on their face if they just had the basic need. So now I have discovered on, a, you know, the question behind the question. Yeah. It was really cool raising money for surgeries that cost four or $500, uh, but we could only help 1,500 people a year. So there were a billion people at the time without clean water, and as I came back, the two years was ended. Uh, I was 30 years old. I was kind of putting all these things together, saying, what if I could tell the story of water using images to do it, somehow raise money in an efficient way and restore people's faith in charity the cynic, the skeptic, um, and, and in a way, I wanted them to share in my redemption process. Yeah. Yep. I had lived a life of pure selfishness. I had found an unbelievable freedom when I turned my attention to serving others and giving of my time and talent and money. Um, and I wanted to share, I wanted people to share in that. Mine um, you know, had a kind of religious tone to it personally, but I wanted to do it in a way that would bring in everyone, yeah. um, regardless of what they believe, because I just believed 
in generosity, and I believed in compassion and these these values. And you're you're looking at that point. What what strikes me is you you're what can I do with what I have? It's sort of like I got this a knife, a stick, a, a yeah. What's a, in your hand? Yeah, right? it's like and you, so you've got a camera, you've got passion, you, you understand uh, no money, about, no money. I was living on a closet floor okay. in Soho. A closet floor, walk-in okay. closet. But you have you're equipped with skills that you've learned, this mm -hmm. knowledge about water. And again, this is another resonant message that whether you're thinking about, you know, it's not just social entrepreneurism, but it's whatever. It's like, what can you do with what you have? And you've learned enough to be dangerous now, and you flip into action. So and I had the photos, and they were powerful. Um, and I had the credibility, you know, there's something about eyewitness. Yeah. You can't take someone's experience away from them. So I wasn't kind of third party advocating. I'm like, oh, I was there. This is her name. Yeah. I tested this water. I put it under a microscope. You want to see what it looks like? You want to see the video of this water and what's in it? So there was a real power, I think, of having gone through that experience that, that gave it you know, a credibility which might have been difficult for a former yeah. nightclub promoter. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I'm not drinking and I'm not smoking and I'm not partying. So you know, my life just looked and felt very different. Um, I just started and, and you know, I don't talk about, it's great that we have a little time to unpack some of this, but you know, most people think Charity Water is just after ending the water crisis, and, and that is our mission. The stated mission is to see a day on Earth when everyone has clean water to drink. It's a very simple thing. Yep. You know, it, the mission is accomplished when zero people drink dirty water that could kill them. Period. But the vision was actually bigger, and I wanted to... It's softer stuff, and it's even hard 10 years later to articulate, but I wanted to reinvent charity. I wanted to explore the true meaning of love and uh, I actually was interested in that word. Uh, it's from the Latin, it's caritas. It means to help your neighbor in need, getting nothing back. Um, it's a virtue. Um, it's about unselfishness and generosity and compassion and, and I just thought we needed more of that in the world. Yeah, clearly. Regardless of what you believe or yeah. your politics or your religion, like we need more people caring for each other, um, opening up their hearts yeah. to serve. So as I came across the cynics and the skeptics, I wanted them in. I wasn't after the people who were giving okay, to Doctors Without Borders or the yeah. Red Cross or the yeah. Salvation Army. I was after people like me, people hanging out in nightclubs, people you know, who would never give a dollar to the United Way or you know, don't know what the March of Dimes does and just have this like, oh, no, no, I'm sure so little of it would actually reach the people and I'm yeah. sure there are a bunch of crooks running it. So the bigger picture was really to create a, a different business model and almost look at the charitable sector and do the opposite of so many things. Yeah. So the, 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 from a business model, there were three pillars early on, kind of a, there were a lot of things. Can we but, characterize like ex charities that were existing at the time that you wanted to reinvent to create a little contrast here? So um, ones that where they didn't know what was going on. The black hole. Yeah, the black hole yep. of money and didn't know how much. There was no transparency into yep. the kinds of A, services that were being provided, B, how much being spent on them, C, is it like, is there actual transformation happening? Are we making a difference? Is there yep. anything else that was... Shame and guilt yeah. for years. Got it. So charities will use shame and guilt to drive people. Um, it goes back to the, do you remember those TV commercials? I was just Sally Struthers. Say, oh, I remember them. The, like, the kids in yeah. slow motion, you know, the flies landing on their face and then they look up at the camera and they lock eyes and the 800 number comes. Yeah. And I wanted to do Nike or Apple or yeah. Tesla or, yeah. you know, Virgin. I wanted to build an optimistic, hopeful, inspirational uh, brand that invited people to be a part of something amazing, not because I shamed or guilted them into it. 
So that was actually a big one. We, we didn't even talk about that at the time. It was yeah. just intuitive. Yeah, this is what we're doing. Um, yeah. So there are all these problems we were trying to solve. And, and I was just asking people, you know, I was just doing market research by saying, why don't you give the charity? Or what would the perfect charity look like? And you might say, if I knew every penny I gave would go straight to the people that needed it. I said, oh, really? Right. Okay, follow that away. Yeah. Um, and well, if I could actually see the impact, my dollars, okay, file that away. So it was really just talking to people and, and you know, the three pillars were 100% and, and we've never wavered on this um, and I can tell stories of how hard it was, but we, we opened up two bank accounts with $100 each and said 100% of every dollar we ever raise from the public will directly fund water projects of varying kinds to help people get clean water. Somehow, bank account number two, we're gonna figure out how to pay for overhead. And an office and staff and flights one day. But you cannot use the excuse with us that you don't know how much of your money will go. Because the answer will be the same all the time. I even had a vision uh, of being so extreme at the beginning of paying back credit card fees. So if someone donated $100 on our website, I wish I got 100 but if they use their Amex, I get 97 We would make up the difference somehow. And we would send $100 to the field. Money we didn't even get. Um, so that was kind of pillar number one, and again, we could talk about how, the, how the, hard the, that is. The, oh. the how was uh, yeah. <laughs> sounds great on paper, um, and it actually didn't. Though. But so it, most people were saying that's a stupid idea, dude. Like you can't you can't run a business where you can't use any of the cash that yeah. you raised to run the business. Um, I just I just believed it. It was like I saw it. But the it clarity working. of the the ability to answer so crisply. Mm -hmm. is so powerful. I know as someone mm -hmm. who is you know, involved peripherally with what you're doing, that to me is, is actually very meaningful. And, and then backing it up. Yeah. 70% um, of Americans think charities waste money. Impulse. It was actually waste or badly waste was in the 70s. So I was after that group, yeah. right? Second thing was then the revelation, again, is you just piece these things together. Well, if we had two separate bank accounts, and money was not fungible, couldn't we track these donations and couldn't we actually tag dollars and show the countries that they went to? Because they always move forward as whole dollars. So if Chase gave $100, couldn't I tag it and say, that's Chase's, that went to India, that went to Malawi, that went to Ethiopia, that went to Guatemala. So the proof kind of became this pillar too, is by all means necessary, use technology to show donors where their money went, where 100% of their money went. Um, and lots of different manifestations. At its, at its earliest, we said, let's just from day one put every water point we would ever fund around the world up on Google Earth and Google Maps. And again, luck with timing, Charity Water and Google Earth started the same year. And I met the founder at a conference, and I realized he'd created a free place to be hyper-transparent, to make a bet on hyper-transparency. Other people said, Chase, why would you tell your donors where their wells are? What if they turned up on them and they were broken? We're like, we'd want to freaking know they're broken so we can fix them. Like, why do you I think know. we're doing I this? Like, it's, but it's very hard. That's the, the <laughs> stigma that you had to overcome. And that's why doing something Opacity different. Opacity was the yeah. norm, yeah. right? Yeah. Donors are stupid. Uh, they're often talked down to. They're a means to an end. We're like, no, we're going to help people. We're going to give them an amazing, redemptive, joyful experience as they follow their dollars to impact because they didn't have to give their dollars. Yeah. Right? Your money belongs to you. It's my job to inspire you and invite you to be a part of something amazing. Once I have your money, whether it's $100 or $100,000 or $100 million, then I have an opportunity to just either send you a thank you or keep asking you for more money or take you on a journey and try to connect you to the people that were helped. 
If I do that well, then there's a virtuous cycle. The rest takes And you're not only going to give potentially more to us, but you're going to give to other things. Your, your, yeah. your, your world of giving could open. So that was the second one, proof. And then the third thing was just building an awesome brand. And um, you know, I, I met Simon Sinek uh, early on, and I was just a big fan of the kind of uh, the why of Charity Water, again, would be around reinventing charity, you know, the movement, the soft stuff. The, the what would be water, yep. clean water to the world. Period, obvious. Um, yep. The how would be you know, a bunch of different things and solution agnostic, 24 countries now, from digital to birthdays to all the different stuff we've tried. Um, but you know, I love Nike. Nike was probably the brand that inspired me the most because you know, if, if the charity way was, hey, Chase, you make too much money, bro. Your shoes are too nice. You, I saw what you spent on that bottle of wine. You should be giving more to the poor. If that was the old way, it would be like someone trying to sell you know, Nike gear by saying, you're so fat and lazy. Turn the TV off, right? Stop eating junk food and go out for a run. And that's not what they do. It's not what they do They at say all. there's greatness within you, right? There is, there is greatness. You can, do, you can run farther than you ever thought possible. You know, you have a disability, you can run a marathon. There is, you can achieve so much more. And then they happen to sell you shoes and shirts and across the category. It's, it's much more an emotional connection and power and positive. It really Obviously, was. Of course. So that was kind of the inspiration of being, you know, the, the Nike or the yeah. Apple of charity. There's greatness. There's great generosity and empathy and compassion within you. We want to be the guide. Yeah. We want to be the steward. We don't want to be the hero. You're actually the hero in the story. Um, the local partner that gets that money and drills the well, they're the hero. We're just the guide. So that was it. Give away 100%, prove it, um, build a beautiful, inspirational, uh, imaginative, creative brand, and then work through local partners. I didn't want to do the work ourselves. Wasn't a hydrologist. Um, Africa didn't need any white guys like me running around trying to dig wells. So our job would be identifying and scaling local organizations who could use the money that we would raise to effectively and sustainably serve their communities. So there was this idea of local heroes. They would be flying the flag. Yeah. They would be getting the credit. Um, and you would be providing that was it. Needs. That was the whole model. So not only it was. That was actually unique. Because you say that today, and it just sounds Obvious. like that's how a charity should. A course. Or could run. Right. Hey, folks, I want to inject another quick word from our sponsor, FreshBooks. I want to give a shout out to those guys. Reminder, FreshBooks is a cloud-based accounting software created specifically for creators, freelancers, and the self-employed folks like you and me. They just launched an all-new version designed from the ground up that is fantastic. A quick quick backstory. I once did, for a whole year, a paper ledger accounting and then did my own taxes, handwritten, without the help of an accountant or any software. It was horrible. I would never wish it on my worst enemy. And I just think about how much time and energy FreshBooks would have saved me in that year of my life. Uh, so simple to use. Couple of my favorite features. One is you can create an invoice in less than 30 seconds. Super, super easy. Another one is that, <laughs> this is related, you can see when your clients have actually viewed your invoice. So that removes that idea of Hey, I never saw your invoice. And then the last one, which is a, a big thing nowadays, is you can literally with two clicks accept online payments like credit cards. Get those funds direct into your bank account so you can get paid faster. Best of all, FreshBooks is giving you listeners here a 30-day unrestricted trial. Um, and to claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash chase. And, and somewhere there, there's a, a thing that says, how did you hear about us? Throw in my name or the Chase Driver Show or something like that to let them know that you came from here. Thanks a lot, and now back to the show. So that was the best telling of 
nightclub to having the charity that you have today. Can you give us some, like the folks at home, a little bit of a picture of what it, what it looks like now? Because yeah. you, you started it, you've fulfilled those promises. The hundred percent thing has stayed true, which again, I, yeah. I personally am over the moon. I think that's just so incredible. hard. So hard. I tell I, everybody, don't don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. We we, we and, and I know some of those stories, and I, I I'm at the risk of avoiding those to, to cover other ground. I know, yeah. I know those stories are hard about how to actually divide that, but I want to start getting into some of the actions, some yeah. of the, like, what's possible. I want to know a little bit more about social entrepreneurship. So just, but before we go there, like, give us a couple of, take a snapshot of Cherry sure. Water today. It's you're 10, 10 years, years old. We just celebrated right? 10 years. Uh, we've raised a quarter of a billion dollars. We've helped 7 million people get water. The water crisis is now 660 million. So a lot of awareness has been raised. A lot of people got access to water over the decade. So I guess we're now 1% of the current problem solved. Uh, we have about 80 people in New York, and we support 1,500 locals around the world. And that's really the, uh, the idea, is to grow the locals. You know, I don't, I don't want to have a huge team here. Yep. We want to try and raise as much money efficiently uh, as possible. Um, and we've had over a million donors. So it's really been a grassroots effort. Um, and the never technology. wavered once in the... Um, we have 23,000 wells now around the world. Uh, we've now developed a sensor, so taking transparency even one step farther. We've dropped uh, 3,500 real-time sensors. So we're getting billions and billions of liters of real-time data in New York of how our wells are functioning five years later, seven years later. So we're now no longer content to just say, we built it, we dropped it there, here Here's it is on picture. Google. Yeah. We want to know that it's sustainable yeah. uh, and functioning. and, and so. Yeah, it's, um, it's been quite a journey. Um, people, people, it's funny, most people say, did you ever think you'd be you know, that successful after 10 years? And really, I thought we'd be 10x by now. The wow. real, and I'm sure there's entrepreneurs yeah. that just, oh yeah, I've as, as, as disappointed as with 7 million everything. people is great, but you know, we've only raised $250 million. Dinner with a guy in Seattle you know, a couple months ago who sold his gaming company for $750. Paul? Um, no, 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 you don't need um, to name names. It's probably not appropriate, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. I, you know what I mean? I like, totally know. And, yeah. and worked on it for a few years and created like some really games that people played. Yeah. But so I kind of feel like it's my you know inept, like it's it's actually anyway. It, it, we're not like dropping the mic and like whoa, we, we helped did. seven million people, yeah. a quarter of a billion dollars. We we think it should have been a couple billion dollars. We should be at fifty million people. We should be yeah. growing faster. It's water. It's 100%. Yeah, and that's a, another thing that I, your approach to the solution has been inspirational to so many because it's not like the technology doesn't exist. It's application of what we already know and yeah. providing resources to do it. Yeah, we know how to give everyone right now on Earth clean water. There's no, no one is in a lab so looking solvable. for a cure. Right, that's, it's so solvable, it's not cancer. We don't have the will to do it. We haven't created the resources to do it, um, but, but we know how to do it. Yeah, I mean, I, every human being alive is drinking water. It's just not clean for 663 million people. And some of them are walking eight hours, or some people are even walking days to get it. So you're not alive unless you're drinking water, and we know how to, we know how to clean it. All right, so I'm going to do a little summary. You've got now Charity Water is 80 people, all the stats that you just gave. It's operational. It's working. And right now, if I'm sitting in my car commuting and listening to this podcast right now, I'm like, I got it. This is this, like my actual experience when I first met you. It was like, holy shit, I got to get involved. I immediately 
you know, built a couple of wells, and yep. and maybe we can. It'd be cool. Them. I'll see if they have a sensor on it. That'd be yeah, fun. Yeah, it would be fun yeah. for me. And more importantly, is I want to help you connect with other people who are listening here. And yeah. it's not about giving a hundred million dollars or a million dollars or even a hundred. It's yeah. about doing something instead of nothing. And I think most importantly that you have created what I think are some of the most ingenious vehicles for making it possible sure. for other people to get involved. And so maybe we could take a second and like that's part of the platform. What you've done is, is sort of the platform of charity. You created an entirely new model and you built a platform around it. So what is the you know, you know, for maybe you can talk about birthdays, for example. Yeah. I think that's so powerful. The foundational idea is giving our story away. Okay. It's, it's really, I can't say enough about this whole, um, most organizations make themselves the hero and they say, look at us, look at us, look at us, look how great we are. We really try to celebrate our community and all of our different constituents, our beneficiaries, our local partners, our volunteers, our donors, and say, you guys are the hero. And continue just to invite people to be a part of the story. So you mentioned the birthday idea. That was, again, we just luck into these things. There's no ma there was no business plan. There was yeah. no mastermind. Day one of Charity Water, I just threw a party in a nightclub, gave my friends open bar, and asked them to donate $20 on the way in for my 31st birthday. And we raised $15,000 that night, and we took all the money to northern Uganda. We sunk our first few wells. Uh, we then sent the photos and GPS back to the 700 people that attended, and they were blown away because they threw so, $20 yeah. at a nightclub. Like yeah. something actually happened. They could see videos, people drinking clean water yeah. uh, because of them. So that was kind of on the one year anniversary, it was just the evolution of well, nightclubs don't scale. Um, I don't want to do my 32nd birthday party in a nightclub, and I guess I could charge $30 or get 1,000 people to turn up, but it wasn't, it wasn't going to be... Listen, scanning, wasn't it wasn't a step, yeah, right? Sure. Uh, so I thought, well, I don't freaking need a party anyway, and I don't need any gifts. I don't need a belt, a tie, a wallet, a, you know, Amazon gift card, iTunes, whatever, yeah. Crate and Barrel, whatever people were giving back then. And um, I thought, well, people don't even have clean water, so what if I could use my birthday in service of them, and kind of just turn the birthday idea around on its head. It's always about us, our gifts, our parties. Look at us. What if we could make our birthdays about others? So I just said, let me try it. I thought the sticky marketing uh, idea might be the agent dollars, and I love the 32 is a messy number. So I got the idea to ask everyone I knew for a $32 donation for my birthday, where 100% of the money would go to water projects in Kenya, and if I raised enough money, I would fly out on my birthday and drill the first well live via satellite. So everybody could see where their $32 Actually, went. Yep. It worked. Raised $59,000 with a PayPal button. And with a PayPal button. I mean, we, we were, I was writing HTML at the time. I mean, the website was, <laughs> right. I picked you. up HTML for dummies. Um, we had a creative director who was, who was helping, but it was just, it was not sophisticated at all. So that then turned into, wow, well, if it worked for my 32nd, kids could do it. Yeah. Uh, Middle-aged people could do it. Elderly people could do it. And a seven-year-old kid in Austin um, that same month started knocking on doors asking for $7 donations, and he raised 22 grand. Uh, he lived in a nice wow. neighborhood, right? Yeah. Uh, and an 89-year-old that same month uh, donated her 89th birthday, and she wrote this beautiful mission statement, um, meaning she sent it to us by email, and we hand-coded it on her page. Wow. I mean, it was really primitive. And she said, uh, I'm turning 89 and I'd like to make that possible for more people. 
And we realized this is a nuanced, beautiful idea that you know, a nine-year-old who'd lived double the expectancy, the life expectancy in these places where we work, simply because of the privilege she was born into, if her birthday, if her life, her legacy could help other people reach the age of five and not die from diarrhea or dysentery or you know, waterborne disease, um, our birthdays for their birthdays. So then you just kind of, you unravel the thing and you tease it out. And that's now led to, you know, tens of thousands of people and over $50 million has been raised. Um, just on birthdays. Birthdays and then other people selling lemonade and climbing mountains. And yeah. a lot of people then said, my birthday's a year from now. What can I do now? Right? I'm inspired. Yeah. So people have tried to climb mountains raising a dollar a foot. Yeah. We had someone swim naked from Alcatraz to San Francisco if she raised $30,000. Her friends made sure she did. <laughs> uh, we've had people, you know... Uh, gosh. What about the woman in Seattle? Like that's, that was yeah. a crazy story. So that, that's, a sad, <laughs> that's a sad story. Um, the, there was a nine-year-old girl that had heard me speak, and you know, for years I would challenge every audience that I could get in front of to donate their birthday. Because um, people are used to being hit up for money all the time, and yeah. it was different. Yeah. And she was about to turn nine, so she donates her birthday, and she sets a goal of $300, and she only raises 220 Now, she's bummed. Yeah. She tells her mom, you know, I'll try harder next. She actually feels like she's let people down having not accepted any gifts and canceling her birthday party. So uh, I was in Central African Republic. I hadn't met her or heard about her at this time. Uh, I, I had landed, um, and my phone wasn't working in the CAR. I'd landed back in New York, turned it on, and I get all these messages, and one was from her pastor saying, Rachel was killed in a car crash. This girl that was fundraising for you, um, there was a 20-car pileup. Um, you'd probably know the interstate, yeah. but she was the only fatality, and a tractor trailer had lost control. Um, and just killed her in an instant. And he said, you know, her, this little girl in my congregation, her, her last wish was to help kids you know, around the world get clean water to drink. So he said, I'm going to have everybody in my church donate $9. So this thing just starts spreading around the world, um, first, first in his church, then in Seattle, then around America, then to Europe, then in Africa. People in Africa start donating $9 to this little girl that cared you know, just, about what was yeah. happening 3,000 miles away. Uh, she goes from $220 to $1.3 million. How extraordinary. On the one-year anniversary of her death, um, I had the honor of taking her, uh, her single mom and her grandparents uh, to Ethiopia, village to village to village, to meet thousands and thousands of the people that had clean water because of Rachel. And it was one of the most impactful, moving, I mean, we were in tears for the week um, women in the Ethiopian villages would, would everybody knew the story because she'd impacted a whole region. The women would walk up and throw themselves at the feet of Rachel's mom, weeping, um, and, and say through translators, you know, we know your pain, we've lost children too, but your daughter's death has brought our children life. Um, it was just, it was an unbelievable story. Five years later, um, we're now five years on from this. Gosh, what, what's really even more amazing. Years. Oh my gosh. I know, man. Uh, is we looked at the donors, so 37,000 strangers gave to her campaign. And so many of them were inspired by her to give up their birthdays. They raised another two million. So her impact now is over $3 million from a $220 seed. She's helped over 100,000 people get yes. clean water. Uh, so you know, that, that's telling those stories is yeah. just, uh, it, it, it moves people. I mean, we need more of that in the world. We need more nine-year-old kids considering others more important than all the toys that they've been conditioned by our society to need. 
let's talk about how people can get involved. Yeah. Because uh, there's, uh, there are so many people who are listening. Who Everybody can donate their birthday. You've done it. <laughs> yeah. I've done eight. It's so uh, eight. It's fun. It's, so it's really, powerful. it's really fun. The Simple. average person yeah. raises a thousand dollars. So you know, you just think about that. Um, you know. Uh, Tell them about the, the, the platform. The platform. So we built something called My Charity Water, um, which tracks these donations. So, you know, after you did your birthday and a bunch of people gave, I, I remember you raised more than that, but people could actually see the photos and the GPS and the accounting for every donation. Um, and it takes a while, actually. It takes yeah. about uh, 12 to 18 months yeah, because it, the dollar only moves forward. We're not like, oh, here, your well's done. Yeah. No, it, it like the money Literally, goes to the field, yeah. work starts, uh, there's rainy seasons, then we take the photos, we audit it, and then we send it back. So this kind of complete integrity in the process. Um, we have so many great stories about birthdays. I mean, uh, so many great stories. So people could do that. Um, you just go to charitywater.org slash birthdays. And you can pledge in five seconds, even if your birthday's a year from now. Yeah. It's as simple as emailing everyone you know. It doesn't work great on social, because people can ignore it. Yeah. But you know, people will send out one email and say, oh my gosh, I just raised $6,211. From an email. From an email. Because people don't want to get us crap anyway. Right. They don't want to necessarily to come me, to another birthday party. Yeah. To me, that's a, that's a really important part of the lever that you've created is people generally are good. They want to give. They want to support. And the mechanism isn't always there. And the birthday, if, if I say, it's my birthday, you want to come by, you're like, you know, some, a bottle of wine or some flowers mm -hmm. or something. And if you can channel that energy, that effort, those dollars into doing some good, not only is it helping the world you, you know, there's feel goods, but it's you're sending a message of hope. I feel like mm -hmm. there's the start of a flywheel because for every person who now has done this before, and then when you realize that you can give to someone else's birthday, to me, it's the it's the network effect that yep. what you've created has, you know, is in, in, an amazing. And, and for an organization with a marketing budget of effectively zero, because we don't buy TV ads or billboards or that stuff, you know, ads in magazines, that stuff just doesn't work. Um, it's amazing. The average person brings in 15 people. So, you know, you and I have some friend crossover for sure, yeah. but when you did your birthday, you touched a whole group of people that have never heard of Charity Water yeah. and have never heard of me or met me. Yeah. And, you know, when a kid in um, Lincoln, Nebraska donates his birthday, you know, I I've been to Omaha, not Lincoln. Like, there's just no awareness. So yeah. now you have this little pocket, um, this little hub and spoke, you know, you have an ambassador. So it's hugely valuable for the organization. Um, the second thing that we talked about, and this is kind of a business learning. Um, so you, you take that snapshot to 10 years later and a quarter billion dollars. One of my deepest regrets and failures as an entrepreneur is that I built a one-time donation uh, business, really. Yeah. And the birthday is great. And if anybody does it, they'll have a great experience. But you do one for Charity Water. Yeah. People go up and do their birthdays for other organizations and say, like, cool, I'm going to do education the next year or health or yeah. a justice issue. Um, but you don't kind of keep coming back and doing birthdays for Charity Water. Yeah. Um, same thing with the donations. You know, people were giving once, and every year, January 1, we'd start at zero. Start all over again. Yeah. So, you know, I'd make, before my first uh, child was born, I did 196 flights in a year. Made 150 speeches, like we're out there telling the story, we're working as hard as we can, and you raise all the money and you send it all to the field, and then you start all over again. On January 1. On January 1, and you're like, I don't think I could work any harder. Yeah. I don't know that I could make more speeches. Yeah. So it, it took me way too long, but on our 10th anniversary, we, um, we just started looking at subscriptions and said, look, the average person now has 11 subscriptions 
between Spotify, Hulu, iTunes, Netflix, yeah. your newspapers, your Dropbox or Box or um, iTunes, right? All this stuff. What if we could create a subscription program for good where 100% of the benefit is passed on to others? So we're not consuming the content, mm-hmm. uh, but 100% is passed on to others and we didn't have to start at zero. What if we could get a bunch of people who would just stand by us month in, month out? And the donation amount would actually be less important than building the community. So we said people could give as little as $5 a month. Um, and some people are giving $100 a month. And for every $30 someone can give, one person gets clean water. So we just launched that in pilot. It's called The Spring. Um, we have 8,100 members giving an average of 31 bucks a month. And that is what we're so passionate about um, about growing now, because that means January 1, you know, there's 8,100 people that are with us. Yeah. Some giving five, some giving 30, some giving 100. But there, we're able to educate them, we're able to take them deep in the issue, talk about water and health, talk about water and education, we're able to tell them stories of impact. So those are kind of the two things. Um, people could learn about the spring, um, that's charitywater.org slash the spring, yeah. and then birthdays. And I, Huge help. Sure, this is a little, this is gonna get a little bit esoteric, but I feel compelled because I know, <laughs> see earlier part of the conversation where you talk about how hard it is to get people um, to, to run a charity where 100% of what you give goes to the organization. There are some people, some people that are in my network that brought to you and people that are in your network you've cultivated. Um, do you ever talk about the well publicly at all? Or yeah, you try and yeah no, no, keep... for sure. Well, I'll tell a story about how it happened. So we almost went bankrupt, you know, a year and a half in. Maybe that's not surprising people. Um, we'd raised, so the 100% side was working really well. That, that obviously resonated. Yeah. And we'd raise a few million dollars, you know, just from the closet floor to scratch. And we'd moved into a crappy office. It was an old printing press, and it was covered in grease, and there were no windows, and um, one window. Um, nowhere near where my area was. <laughs> and uh, we, we hit this moment where I was about to run out of cash to make payroll. And I'm sure so many businesses yeah. have you so Yeah, big and small along. We, we've long. all been there. Yeah, yeah. But yet, yeah. I had nine months of burn that I couldn't touch, $881,000 sitting in the water account that was on its way out. So the advice I was getting from people was, hey, go borrow from that money. Yeah. Like pay it back, of course, yeah. right? Yeah. Write the little IOU, but just make the transfer. You know, and I remember being so angry at just the idea of that. If we took one penny, if we ever borrowed from the public's money, our integrity would be compromised, there'd be a crack at the foundation, we might as well all hang our heads in shame and you know, quit. quit. Um, so I was gonna shut down the organization. So I looked at how do you wind down a charity. We could send the $880,000 out to our partners, get as many water projects as possible, and then say, hey, that didn't work. Everybody was right, the critics were right. Yeah. Um, I was praying a lot at that time with very little faith <laughs> for some sort of crazy miracle. And uh, right before we, we you know, kind of ran out of money, a couple weeks before, a uh, complete stranger walks in the office a tech entrepreneur who had sold his company, a guy named Michael Birch, and sat with me for two hours. I remember thinking he didn't like me, and just just kind of was just listening, but a little cynical. I don't give to charities, you know. I I don't really trust charities. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I did this thing for you. Like this is it's for people like you. There's so many of you out there. Um, he left the meeting and he wired a million dollars in the overhead account. So we went from bankrupt to 13 months of funding, 12 or 13 months, and use that extra time to build what's now a pretty amazing, sophisticated 
multi-year, multi-tier program called The Well. And the way that we do it now, for all the people who are like, well, how do they actually, how do they raise a quarter billion dollars? And, yeah. um, there are 117 families that pay for our overhead. Um, they give between 60,000 a year to a million a year. And it's the founders of Facebook, Twitter, uh, Square, um, Spotify, it's senior execs at Apple, uh, and Samsung, and it's football quarterbacks, and rock stars, and actors, <laughs> and everyday um, people who own car shops, and car part manufacturers. And yeah. It's 117 generous families that have paved the way for a million people to give. They all sign three-year terms, and then we do our best to steward that relationship over three years, so they sign the next three-year term. Yeah. So that actually doesn't start at zero. When you say pro, when you said pro football quarterbacks, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't help but remember. Um, I don't, is it fair to? Yeah, oh, totally, names? totally. Okay. Yeah. Um, we did an event uh, where Scott came and speak, spoke at Creative Live, the original Creative Live Studios in Seattle. Um, invited some of my my peer group and and folks in Seattle, people who were movers and shakers. And the quarterback at the time uh, was a guy named Matt Hasselbeck, mm-hmm. who's and a large man. He, yeah, he's like six four. He's a big guy, <laughs> bald, totally. Yeah. Um, and he. You know, we just heard that there was a chance that he could come. I was like, yeah, great. Because they, they had, had, it was a Sunday night, I think. Yeah. They had a game. Yeah. And he so broke his, to the game. Yeah, and yeah. He, he broke his hand in the game. Yeah. And so we were pretty sure he wasn't going to come. And we, as we were making the guest list, and my, my wife Kate is going to kill me for telling this story here. <laughs> Go so get her. Matt, Go get her. Matt, Matt shows up at the, uh, I love you to death, Kate. You're incredible. <laughs> um, the part, you know, Matt's a little bit late. I, I get a text from someone that's like, you know, there's a, someone who wants into the gathering and is not on the guest list. And so I go to Kate, and Kate is, she's amazing. She's a super producer. She's standing there with the iPad, and she's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, Kate, yeah. Almost turned him away. Yeah. I mean, he almost like got back in the car. Broken hand. Broken right? hand. I mean, just, just like, played a game. Yeah, just and, played a game. And I'm like, Kate, this is, this is Matt. He's the quarterback for the Seahawks. Yeah. Kate is just a fun story. Yeah, so sweet. So, and so that's, yeah. there is an amazing group of families. And actually, my belief around that is that people are open to a lot of different value propositions. Yeah. They just want to know where their money goes. Yeah. If I told you know, the people listening right now that our greatest need was a broken glass door in a conference room, and there was a jagged edge, but we didn't have the money to fix it, like people would pay for that. Yeah. Or a broken copier. People want to meet needs. Yeah. So those 117 families, they want to pay for the software engineer. Yep. Yep. They want to pay for the flights and the insurance and the dental because they want to come and support the organization and pave the way for people to have a pure experience. So, but they know the two bank accounts are audited separately. Like they yeah. know what they get. Yeah. A lot of them at the end of the year say, hey, I want to build a bunch of water projects for a coworker or for my wife. Or they'll jump to the other bank yep. account and give on both sides, but it's clear. Yeah, it's beautiful. So. Um, yeah, I, I think the way you set it up is, is completely extraordinary. I would like to shift gears one more time yeah. before we circle back. I'm trying to be sensitive of our time here. So, um, well, um, I think a lot of folks listening, there's been so much symbolism, so much um, by extension that people can connect with your personal story of struggle and perseverance. It's very much the hero's journey. Um, and there's like also Joseph a, Campbell. Yeah, there's also <laughs> a bunch of folks who um, are. It's not necessarily about charity, but it's about finding their own way. And for you, yeah. it was creating the charity water, and you've done an amazing job. Um, let's talk a little bit about you know some of your biggest learnings and and you know what 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 did it take to make the jump? And so give, give us just hypothesize or philosophize a little bit around. Yeah. Um, 
inspiring the people who are listening to this and because it, it doesn't just have to be about charity I think to me that's the most important sure. thing and if you're listening I'd, I would love for you to, to you know give your birthday or give to the spring but like let's help people who are like stuck in the position of where they're not happy they're you as a nightclub promoter yeah is there any you know advice well, is risky for, but for me it wasn't job it was all an earn, it was all about values so I, I would start there I mean I was rotten at the core and I was pursuing all the wrong things and I see this out there I see yeah. people just pursuing money or keeping up with the Joneses and they have a number they hit the number they raise the number yeah. they hit that number they raise a the number yeah and you know that they're they're never gonna find. It's almost obvious to us, yeah. right? That they're never gonna find. I happiness. mean, you just say it, and it's obvious, and yet we see the pursuit of that. And rather it's than it's a pursuing, huge yeah. group of people. Someone's always gonna have a nicer car, a better house, you know, a bigger plane, like a better watch, whatever you're chasing. So for me, it was like I had to go and rediscover who I was at the core. Um, th there was a faith transformation for me, but I think other other people, you, you, could, you could find that through service, through unselfishness. It was, it was just a positional shift. You know, I, I really believe like, so much more important than what you do is how you do it. Um, and, and the core values and being intentional about you know, integrity and honor and respect and like, all the stuff that I had just lost, it was in my heritage. Yeah. And you know, I was fortunate at least to be given that foundation by my parents. And, you know, I kind of lived out like the prodigal son story, if anything. I, you know, I'd taken my inheritance, I'd, you know, squandered it away on the proverbial prostitutes and drugs. Came back. And then kind of said, what am I doing? And, and I was welcomed back. So I guess I would say it's never, it's never too late to change. The, the amazing thing was, and, and, and you could struggle too, right? Yeah, it's okay. You know, it doesn't have yeah. to be like, you don't have to quit everything in one go. It's not linear. If you don't, you say, oh, well, I wasn't successful. It's just, you know, I think it's wanting to change. Um, it is, know, it's I, important also to recognize that it's not linear. Like you, tr you tried to quit all those things five times, totally. and at some point you did, and people and, are and trying to. Yeah. Our integrity. I mean, there are so many times over the last ten years that we could have cut corners and taken the easy way. But being clear about the values, like it's, it's at Charity Water, it's integrity above all else, um, and and knowing, just knowing what you really care about. So many people have never written values down for their companies. Yeah. I, it's one of my favorite interview questions. It's, I'm bringing someone on to the company. Tell me the values that you live and work by. Some people can't answer that question. They're paralyzed by it. I've asked people that. They're paralyzed yeah. by yeah. it. And so Charity Water for me is a values play of, um, and, and that's where it started for me. So you know, I don't think everybody needs to go quit their job and become a humanitarian. I believe very much in, in generosity. Like I am, I want to be the advocate for giving radically, giving until it hurts. Um, giving, you know, way more than you think you should. I mean, I sit with billionaires who might be giving one thousandth of a percent. I mean, I've, I've sat with billionaires who will give a hundred dollar check and make it feel like it's a lot. Um, and, and you're just, yeah. you know, so wealth yeah. does not equate with generosity. Some of the, the most generous people are the poorest people. Yeah. That we know, and so I would say, I think you know, finding value part is that's a huge know huge what they are, there. explore you know explore generosity. Uh, the more you give, the more you give. Uh, the old expression is the more you give, the more you get. It's actually, you know, yes, you, you get something out of it, but you kind of become addicted to giving, and you want to give, and in that you find a new path. You really find the freedom in not serving yourself. Um, but looking for ways to serve others, whether it's here, whether it's 3,000 miles away, whether it's through our organization, whether it's through others. Um, and I'm surprised at how many people just don't do that at all. Just, yeah. It's all about them. It's, it's crazy. all like you're literally obsessed with 
you know, your joy, your happiness, your money, your, you know, work schedule. And it's just toxic. Yeah. You see it just eat people away. It's so short-sighted. Like, the, the, the goal keeps moving. I've never, uh, not never, I very rarely see someone who's going after a financial goal when they get, or, or like, I want to sell It's the heart condition. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it's, 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 I don't want to use the word greed, but for yeah. some people it is. It's yeah. kind of. But it's also there's cultural things, and that's one of the reasons I definitely, uh, that's one of the reasons I want to have you on the show, because there's a cultural, um, I think we're on the cusp of cultural transformation. I do feel a new level of empathy entering our culture. I feel the rise of the feminine in a world that's been you mm -hmm. know, really dominated by man and the masculine story. Um, and yours so elegantly captures that. Um, I, th I do see a rise in social entrepreneurism. I don't want it to be a trend. I want it to be a, a lasting um, I don't know, path and pattern in human behavior. Um, is there any advice that you would give to people who um, like, does the world need more charities, or should people go to work at charity? Like, what's the best way? Is that to, um, or is it just we talk about this? I find passion. it so hard to prescribe to people, yeah. you know, where where they should be. Um, is, it, is it fair just to say passion? Like, to actually follow the things you love, and if you if you are part passion with thing? integrity, passion with core values that are virtuous. Yeah, um, and you know, I, I think you know the, the core of who you are. Um, and the things that you're pursuing and why, like really thinking through that stuff. Um, an exercise we did that I started to talk about a little more now and I can even give you for the show notes is we, we did our core values early, but then we did something in the company called isms because I think Enron had a value of integrity and, you know, yeah. right, like respect. And, right. uh, so you could just, they could just be empty. Yeah. Um, so we have all of these isms at Charity Water, which is you know you're living out your values through these examples. So we actually have a zero tolerance for profanity at the organization, which is super interesting. And we tie that to a value of respect. We don't ever want to offend a donor and, and risk someone not getting clean water because we're dropping the F-bomb you know, in front of someone who might be conservative. Sure. Um, and people come out of like tech. I mean, we're hiring a lot of people from you know, some of the biggest tech companies. And you know, they're That's, like, whoa. Yeah. And then it feels great. I just had a, a new exec say, I'm like a better dad now. Because like, I, I always was swearing on my kid a little too much, and that's one. We don't pirate software is another one. Um, just because we're a small charity doesn't mean we think we're entitled to 10 copies of Final Cut Pro for the price of one. We're going to buy 10 copies, as expensive and painful as that is, to spend our donor money on that. We would buy 10. We license music. Um, we, you know, opportunity, not guilt. We design everything. Uh, we have a no typos policy, like, we, like excellence. So you just, you kind of think of the things that are important to you. If you fast forward, what does the place feel like? Um, I want Trudy Water to feel like this warm uh, environment where you meet people that are kind and generous and respectful. We have one in, uh, where I expect my employees to give money away. And a lot of people say, no, no, me serving at your organization is my gift. I'm like, no, you also have to give money. Because we're not in the volunteer business, we're in the business of asking people to give. Yeah. So I believe all of us, all 80 of us, need to eat our own dog food. My wife and I give 20% of our net income away. Um, I feel like I need to outgive my givers. Like, yeah. if I'm out there asking people to donate their birthday or to join the spring or to, you know, asking someone to join the well, like, it better be on my tax return, you know, and I better be able to say the same thing. So. I think just being intentional, so many people don't think about that. What do you stand for? Like, what, yeah. what are you known for? What values do you want to put forth in the world? And, and you know, on a, on a spectrum of, of pick any of the virtues. Yeah. It's also beautiful the way you've approached it, I feel like. And I do see more of this, but 
just the it is a process and people getting from um, the a, a different place in their life to, to giving it's a process and learning and a lot that's one of the again reasons I wanted to have you on the show is there's so much to learn from you and going through your process um, the folks at home who are looking to give if you if there are people who can't you know are paycheck to paycheck can't actually get out of their sure. own way right now um, but it's the hope that this has in, inspired a few folks you're an absolute role model not just in the charity world but as a human um, so I wanted to say thanks personally uh, and is there any you know like the I feel like we've we've touched a lot on we've covered a lot of ground from basically the last 20, yeah. 20 years of your life yeah. um, is there anything else that you feel like I'm, I'm not asking you that would make a better show. It's important to me that you feel like you've shared something yeah. on this show that you haven't shared somewhere else. And I know you're, a, you know, you're a professional in every aspect of the word. Yeah. But what can you I, tell us? I think us one of the one of the lessons I learned, you know, at the ten year mark is, you know, I I almost burned out, and for years and years people were telling me, oh, dude, you're going too hard. You can't take that many flights. You can't work that hard. You know, you can't whatever hustle that hard, yeah. and. Like, it was my passion. I just loved it and loved it and loved it and loved it. Um, got married, started having kids, and then, like, the new, it just, they were right. Like, they became right almost in an instant. Um, they were wrong and wrong, and I was delighted to say, I'm still here. here I am. You, like, prophesied my Ten downfall of right. burnout, and I have more energy than ever. And what was interesting was the, the, the burnout uh, was tied to revenue and donation numbers. So I had my first down year. So we had eight years of consecutive growth, and I had so much of my identi identity as a leader and as an entrepreneur into this charity always goes up and to the right, okay? We're gonna grow infinitely, because growing infinitely means more people get clean water. My paycheck doesn't change. Yeah. Like, whether we raise, you know, $40 million this year or 400, like, I'm living in my one-bedroom apartment in 950 square feet with my two kids. Like, it's not, um, it's, it's not like corporate America. So. It, it almost makes, like, we're chasing growth and it's even more pure because the growth isn't for us. The growth is for others who need freaking water. Yeah, to be clear. It's so our, 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 we had an amazing year, our eighth year. Uh, everything went right. Twitter IPO'd. Um, a bunch of people were very generous. I had spoken to the company when there were 28 employees, so people remembered. And, you know, when they were able, we're like, hey, we can throw down now. Yep. Um, a, a huge company that had been with us for a bunch of years dropped $5 million this one time. Guy in Virginia um, drops $3 million. And it's just like, you know, things are, amazing things are happening. 20, uh, the next year, so we, we raised $45 million. We help a million people get clean water in that year. It's an average of 2,700 people every day. One person every 30 seconds. And we look back and say, like 2,700 people a day. That, that's including Saturdays and Sundays. Um, that's bonkers, man. <laughs> the next year, the company that gave us $5 million um, announced they were laying off 10,000 employees. They go from five to zero that year. The donor in Virginia's stock tanks 40%. He goes from three to, to zero. And we're $8 million in the hole starting the year. Remember, the year that started at zero is like negative eight to get back to that same number. And long story short, we just didn't replace those gifts, and yeah. we ended down about that much. And I thought, well, it's all my fault. I hit my ceiling. Time to bring on a real leader. Time to bring on you know, a real professional. Um, and I'm burned out. And what I, so I'll just be transparent about the process. I called my board up, 
And I have, I have a great small board. It's a governance board. Um, our big givers are in the well, and these people just kind of do the grunt work. And I said, I think it's time to bring on a CEO. I'll stay, but I'll, I'll work on innovation or I'll work on fundraising. And uh, then I told my exec team, and this was in, going into the fourth quarter, and they're like, get your butt back to work. <laughs> like, what is this nonsense? You're not opening up to see. Dude, just finish the year. You're burned out. Take a month off and see how you feel. So I did. I took a month off in January, and I went to I went with my family up in the mountains in California. It rained the entire month. It hailed. It was miserable where we were. Found out we were pregnant with our second, and I basically got so bored and was just thinking about how I could fix all the problems of the business and start recurring donation revenue and go build a subscription program that I was, I, I made it three and a half weeks. Uh, it was basically like under four weeks. I, I needed to get back yeah. and finish the 10 years. And I said to myself, at least I got to like finish the decade. Yeah. And then last year was just so awesome. We grew again, but we grew in a healthy and responsible way. And you know, what are we now in May? And I'm kind of never more excited about it. So but what I learned, a, there though, was, was a respite in there. And I think there was, a, there was a month off. Um, I, I think I would recommend people take three months. By the way, nothing bad happened. In, in fact, the team probably performed better without me running around you know, with Looking crazy ideas. Um, but the, the thing I learned there was that my identity was in the numbers. And, and as I talked to my dad, you know, who's just a middle-class businessman for many years, he said, you have good years, you have bad years. Did you compromise any of your integrity or values? I'm like, no. Did you do anything you weren't proud of? Like outside of not going and raising extra money, no. He said, okay, well then start the next year and go work hard. So it was, it, it seems so simple, but um, I just needed to keep going and try and take those learnings and, um, and remove the identity and my self-worth go, in yeah. like how much money we raise in a calendar year. You know, in, in some ways, like we'd only become as good as our last quarter in that mentality. And... Um, that's just not healthy and it's not sustainable. And we had a great year and we had helped 800,000 people get water instead of a million. Um, but, you know, had we quit, we would have helped zero people get clean water. So if anyone's experienced burnout, take the time off and, you know, just really, I, again, I did some soul searching and, um, and realized it was really unhealthy to have my identity only in the performance of the organization and, and some factors beyond my control. Like we worked hard. Yeah. I didn't like. I didn't come the off the gas that year. It just didn't. Yeah, we didn't have the. We couldn't repeat the success of the of the former. Well, I'll. I need to put a bow on this thing. But absolutely incredible to hear your story. So inspirational. Uh, I know we've inspired some people on the other end of these cameras and microphones. And um, I'm so grateful that you took the time to tell your story. And it's the beginning. The second beginning because we already did this once. We're, I'm gonna, <laughs> you're gonna be a regular. Good, we'll do it every show. few years. Right. Awesome. We'll do it. Awesome, thank you so Good much, man. buddy. Thanks I for having me. Really appreciate it. it. God bless, bro. All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say a, a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform that you enjoy, uh, check me out there as well as all the other ones. It's a super important ask for you to share this also. Uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and, and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platforms. 
So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.